Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. Uh, we are in the middle of a Sunday morning series called I Will Honor God. This past Sunday morning, we preached from the book of Isaiah in chapter number 55, verses 7 through 15. And the title of the message was Giving Weight to the Word. Please enjoy. Take your uh, Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah chapter number 55 this morning. I'll give you just, uh, just a minute to get there. Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah chapter number 55. We're in the middle of a Sunday morning series here at Chesbro Baptist Church called I Will Honor God. What does it mean to honor God? Just a little review. Last week we talked about what it means to honor God. It means to give weight to God's word. God's word, it means something to us. When God's word means something to us, we honor him. Last week we talked about, what a, about a weightless word. What happens when we view the word of God with no weight? We give it no honor. What happens then? What we said last week is when we give the word of God no weight, we view it as negotiable. We view it as inconsequential. We view it as God withholding something good from us. And then we view it as one of of two paths and reason that our way is better than God's way. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, For them that honor me will I honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This is the verse that our series is centered around. With that in mind, if you have your places in Isaiah 55 and you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to begin reading this morning verse number 7. We're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter in verse number 13. The Bible says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that none shall be cut off. The title of the message this morning is giving weight to the word giving weight to the word. Let's pray one last time.
Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for the message this morning. I bathe it in prayer, Lord. I pray that you'd be with the preaching of the word of God. I pray that I wouldn't preach, Lord, but that you would preach through me. The power of God would fill this place and we would learn, all learn together as Christians, what it means to give weight to the word of God. Be with our message this morning, Lord. Be with us as we listen and learn and try to get close to you. For as this in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I remember growing up and, you know, I, I've been surrendered to preach since I was 13. And so, you know, as soon as the family finds that out, you pray at all the family functions. Man, if you got a preacher in the family, he's going to pray every time y'all get together. Now, he's going to pray at, the, at all the meals, and he's going to do all that. And ever since I was 13, ever, and I still do it today, anytime we all get together to share a meal with my family, I pray, for they always call on Brett to pray. Let the preacher pray. But, you know, um, I remember those prayers I prayed when I was just a kid, when I was just a little boy. We all remember the nighttime prayer, right? Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. A five-year-old, it's a very morbid prayer for a five-year-old. You know, I'm not going to die in my sleep, mommy. You know, what's, I'm ready to go to sleep now. You know, so it's a little, little scary there. But you remember the prayer you prayed but when you were little? The prayer you prayed when it was time to eat? You remember that one? That's always a classic. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Man, we remember that prayer. And that's a good one. That's so close to our heart. You know, and as we get older, we learn, you know, we learn how to pray and whatnot. It's a good introduction to prayer. But, you know, do we really believe that? Do we really believe this morning that God is great and God is good? always he's always great and always good but the thing is do we really believe that if you believe that God is great and God is good then that means that he will always meet your needs now when I'm when I say needs I'm not I'm not talking about your perceived needs I'm talking about your genuine needs Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Man, that sounds like a good deal. Man, that sounds like God is so great and God is so good that any time I have a need, he has an endless supply and he will supply that need and he will meet that need. Man, that sounds like a great and a good God to me. Man, if we really believe that God is great and God is good, that means that God will always forgive my sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad this morning that God forgives sins because, bless God, I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'll die a sinner. I'll always be a sinner. And I'm so glad that I have a great God and I have a good God that forgives my sin because I'm going to mess up and I'm going to do wrong and I'm going to stumble. I'm not, I'm not always going to hit the mark. Sometimes I'm going to miss the mark. And man, when I miss the mark, I am so glad that I have a good God and I am so glad that I have a great God that will forgive me of my sin. 
If God is really great this morning and if God is really good, then that means that he'll never stop loving you. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Have I always felt worthy of God's love? No. And sometimes I can get so low and sometimes I can get so down that I think, why in the world would God ever love me? I've went back on his word so many times. I've broken his heart so many times. If it was a normal person, if it was a normal human being, they'd be done with me. They'd throw me away. But man, God keeps on loving me. If we have a great God this morning, and if we have a good God this morning, then that means that his strength and his grace is always sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, sometimes the tank is empty. Man, sometimes you go for strength and it's not there. The tank is on E. It's been on E for a couple days now. But what we don't realize is that is that you know we God is just in Jesus is an endless gas station. And anytime we want to, we can pull into the station and fill up on grace and fill up on strength. Not only do I need a lot of strength today, Christian, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace. Amen. I need an endless supply of grace. And in the Bible, he has promised me because he is so great and because he is so good that, my, that his grace is sufficient. That means his grace is enough. Said, Brett, you can burn up all the grace you want to burn up. I've gotten more where that came from. And it's an endless supply of strength and an endless supply of grace. If my God is great, and if my God is good, that means that he is ruler of all things, including my circumstances. Job 23.10, but he, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me tell you something today, Christians. Your circumstances, they may have surprised you, but they didn't surprise God. They may have surprised you when you got the call or when you woke up that morning or you opened that letter or you got the knock on that door or you got that email or, or you, something happened. It may have surprised you when it come, but I, I'll tell you today, it did not surprise God. He is in control. He is the ruler of all. He knows your circumstances. And he knows at the end of this, once you pass through that fire, you will be tried and made pure as gold. And that is his goal. It's not to hurt you. It's to try you. It's to make us more pure. If we have a good God and we have a great God, then he is a ruler of all, including our circumstances. If we have a great God this morning, if we have a good God this morning, that means you can count on him to do everything that he promised to do. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath said, and shall he not do it? Or he hath spoken, and shall he not make it good? 
And I can pick up this Bible and from cover to cover, I can flip page after page and I can pick out promise after promise after promise after promise. And what I love about my God is my God will keep every promise that he made to me. He is not a human. He is not a sinner. He will not lie. He will come through. He will keep all his promises. He will keep every single one of them. If my God is great this morning, and if my God is good, that means I have no need to fear. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for thy Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. They, the world today, the media today, it deals in fear like, like it's a commodity. It, they'll tell you one thing and they'll tell you that as long as you're afraid of it. When you quit being afraid of it, they'll switch to the next subject. And they'll tell you about that until, as long as you're afraid of that. And then, when you're, and then when you stop being afraid of that, they'll find something else for you to be afraid of. Man, I used to look at that number. I told y'all this Wednesday night, I'd pick up my phone when this first started and I'd look at that coronavirus number and man, that number kept going up and it kept going up and it kept going up and I was thinking, man, what, and my flesh was thinking, man, what's going on? It just keeps going up. But then I noticed something. The Lord showed me something. The Lord said that number that never goes down. And that was when I was like, hey, something's up with that. The, the number's got to go down. People get cured. Even if people die from it, the number's got to go down. And if the number keeps going up and it never goes down, that is fear peddling. Be not dismayed. Be not fear. If I have a good God and if I have a great God, I've got no reason to fear. But, but, if you believe that God is always good, if you believe that God is always great, then what that means this morning is you will reject your own thinking for his word. If you believe all the things that I just told you about your God, then that means that you will reject your own reasoning, you will reject your own way of thinking and accept the word of God. Let me read you a quote. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. A.W. Tozer. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and I'm going to have four statements to answer this question. Here's, here, here's the question. What happens when we begin to give weight to the word? What happens when we begin to give weight to the word? Here's my first answer. We forsake the way birthed by our own reasoning. We forsake the way birthed by our own reasoning. Isaiah 55 and verse number 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, I want you to see in these two verses, the, the word thought is in there three times. Thought, thought, thought. So what I'm going to be talking to you about this morning is a battle inside of your mind. 
There's a battle going on inside of your mind. There is a battle going on today for your thoughts. Now, isn't it interesting? We can justify so many things by just relying on our own thinking. We can find a way to work it out. We can find a way to make it make it make sense to us. We can find a way to make it logical. And let me tell you what in your mind will lead you to. In your mind, the verse says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteousness his thoughts. You know what your mind will lead you to? Your mind will lead you to wickedness. Your mind will lead you to unrighteousness. Why is that? So, so our way is against God. When we are left alone with our own thoughts, we gravitate towards wickedness. We gravitate towards unrighteousness. You know why? Because our thoughts are temporary. All of our thoughts are temporary. When you woke up this morning, what did you think? I got to comb my hair. Temporary. I got to lay out my clothes. I got to iron my clothes. Temporary. I got to put on deodorant and perfume. Temporary. We're thankful. Amen. We're thankful for that one. But it's still temporary. It's, it's all temporary. Oh, man, when we get here and we sitting in here and we're listening to the worship music play, we're thinking about things eternal. When we pick up that old hymn book and we sing about Calvary and we sing about the blood, we're thinking about something eternal. And, man, when we're sitting here and we got our Bible open on our lap and we're listening to the preach of the word of God, man, we're thinking about things that are eternal. But tomorrow morning we'll wake up and we'll start thinking temporary again. We'll start thinking about our, our temporal things again. Why? Because this is the way our mind works. It's the direction in which it goes. Why, does our, why is our mind driven by temporary things, by things that are temporal and not driven by things that are eternal? Because our mind is driven by human reasoning. Human reasoning. Have you ever heard the phrase, makes sense to me? You ever heard that phrase? That's what I'm talking about. But let me tell you something today, Christian. Just because it makes sense to you doesn't make it right. Just because it makes sense to you doesn't make it right. What is human reasoning? Human reasoning looks at things from a human perspective, either consciously or unconsciously leaving God out of the equation. That's what human reasoning is. Let me give an example of human reasoning in the Bible. I'm going to read for you Matthew 16, verses 5 through 11. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we had taken no bread, which Jesus perceived. He said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? So in this case, the disciples 
didn't bring any bread. They didn't bring any food. Maybe they were feeling hungry. Maybe they were feeling guilty that they forgot the food. Maybe it was their responsibility and, 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 and they dropped the ball on that one. So all of a sudden, Jesus is going along and he wants to teach them a Bible truth. He wants to teach them a Bible lesson. And, he's, and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, you know how the disciples took it. The disciples took it as a, a backhanded slight. You know, Baptists are really good at that backhanded slight, you know, little backhanded comment. You're not coming out, and it's not a full frontal assault. It's kind of a flanking maneuver, the old backhanded slight. And they thought that Jesus was giving them a backhanded slight and, and that he was, he, was, he was getting on to them about it. But, you know, so they got their little feelings hurt. They got their little feelings hurt by this back hidden, backhanded slight and, and they focused on that instead of the Bible truth that Jesus was trying to teach them. Your human reasoning will get in the way from you learning the word of God. Your human reasoning and your thinking on temporary things will get in the way of you getting the truth of God into your heart. They assumed that he was talking about bread to eat. Their human re they asked their human reasoning to determine what Christ was talking about instead of asking him directly. Their human reasoning brought them down to a wicked, unrighteous path of learning, of thinking of only a temporal things. And all they thought was a temporary thing of the bread. Man, when Jesus had something better for him. Jesus had a spiritual truth this morning. Uh, he, he had a spiritual truth for them. He was going to make their Christian life better. This morning, you're sitting in here, and I'm, I'm preaching the Word of God, but your mind is somewhere else. I don't know where your mind is. Maybe your mind is back at home. Maybe your mind is at work. Maybe your mind is out in the parking lot and under your hood because you got something wrong with your car. Man, drop all that temporary stuff and focus on the Word of God because if you're not focused on eternal, that temporary thing is going to make you miss something eternal. Jesus had to straighten them out. Jesus has to say, look, I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about something spiritually deeper. He had to take their mind off the temporary and put their mind on the eternal. Speaking of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were also famous for using human reasoning instead of listening to Christ, instead of listening to the Word of God. In Mark 2, Jesus was in a building. There was a lame man and his four friends brought this lame man to Jesus, but the building was so full, they couldn't get the lame man in to see Jesus. So they climbed up on top and they literally took the roof off the place and they lowered that man down into Jesus and Jesus healed him. But you really, you know, Jesus always had a way. He, he always knew how to poke at them Pharisees. He knew how to just slide it right in there and twist it and turn it, make them squirm in their seat. Jesus was good at making them squirm. And so Jesus knew. He said, oh, also your sins are forgiven. Oh, man, they started squirming in their seats. Now they were like, oh, they got all huffy and puffy. The Bible says in Mark 2, 6 and 7, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can, who can forgive sins but God only? See, you know what they were reasoning? Their reason was their human tradition. Their human reasoning was their 
human ideas about who the Messiah would be. Uh, in their minds, Christ couldn't be God. Therefore, he couldn't forgive people. And, and they refused to look at all the miracles Jesus had did in his ministry. And they refused to admit that their traditions were wrong. This is why, and listen to this, human, reason, human reasoning is an enemy of faith. Human reasoning is an enemy of faith. Why? Human reasoning comes from your physical experiences, whereas faith relies on God, whom we haven't seen. We haven't seen God. It relies on his nature. It relies on his plan for us, which is revealed in his word. Without the Holy Spirit, the human mind cannot grasp that level of thinking. That's why it takes faith to believe what God says. It takes faith to believe what God does. You know what, human, you know what your human reasoning will do? Your human reasoning will throw out the supernatural. The supernatural won't exist if all you do is live by your human reasoning, by your own what people call common sense. If you just live by your human reasoning, it throws out the supernatural. And man, if you don't have anything supernatural in your life, what kind of life is that? I don't want a life without the supernatural. I want the supernatural a part of my life. Now, is all human reasoning wrong? Not at all. There are places in secular matters where, where it has some good. I mean, scientists, engineers, technicians, they have to use reasoning to do their jobs. But here's the problem. The problem comes and you get in trouble when you use human reasoning to try to describe spiritual matters. When you use your human reasoning to try to, to, try to, to find truth when you should be using God's word to find truth. Let me give you an example. I've recently come across people kind of before this thing happened with uh, the virus. I come across people who say, oh, I don't have to go to church anymore. And they convince themselves that God is okay with them saying, oh, I don't ever have to go to church again. Oh, because, you know, uh, really, I'm a part of, I'm the church, so I can stay at home and I can have church here because I'm the church. And they've reasoned within themselves that it makes sense to them that God's okay with it. But you see, the practice of meeting together on the first day of the week, man, that was practiced by the early church. Let's consider the word of God. Instead of letting human reasoning, instead of letting human reasoning teach us the truth, let's let the word of God teach us what the truth is. Acts 20, verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together and break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Then people give me the eyeball when I preach over 45 minutes. But Paul held them there to midnight. Y'all settle in. Don't be a long one today. No, I'm just kidding there for you. Lord, I apologize for that there. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when ye are gathered together. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. For first of all, when ye come together in the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke love and to good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. 
See, human reasoning might say, I don't have to go to church, but that's not what the Word of God says. See, the Word of God says something else. So the Word of God tells us the truth. You know what a Christian who doesn't go to church is like? It's like a person that says they're on a basketball team, yet they never go to a game. Oh, yes, I'm on the team. I'm on the team. I've got my jersey, but I never go to the games. I don't have to go to the games. Well, if you never go to the game, you're not part of the team. If you don't go to the game, you're never part of the team. To forsake the team and still claim membership of the team is absurd. Human reasoning cannot honor God. Because human reasoning excludes God. You've got to leave it behind. What makes sense to you, you've got to leave that behind. Let me say this statement before I go to the next point. This book is not a sense book. This book doesn't make sense. Now you would say, Brett, you're a preacher. Why are you saying that? The book don't make sense. There's some parts in here that don't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. This isn't a sense book. This is a faith book. It's a faith book. It's not a sense book. It doesn't have to make sense to me. God can look at me and say, because I said so, like we talked about last week. He can look at me and say, Brett, because I said so, it doesn't have to make sense to you. You just have to do it. This isn't a sense book. This is a faith book. Number two. Second answer. We return to the word to establish our thoughts. We return to the word to establish our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 7b. And let him return unto the Lord. Not only do we forsake our way and return to God's way, but we must also forsake the thinking that produced the error in the first place. Let me read you a verse. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's go through this verse phrase by phrase. First it says casting down imaginations. That literally means it means getting rid of human reasoning. Getting rid of what you think is right. It could be your instinct. It could be what you were taught in school, evolution. It could be a wrong teaching that maybe a parent gave you or something like that. When it comes to God, you have to give up rational thought. You have to give up rational thought when it comes to God. Why? Because God does not operate on our thinking level. We have to give up rational thought. And then it says, and bringing into captivity. That means I have to give into this way about, about thinking uh, about God. Okay? If the Bible says that all I need to get over an addiction is Jesus, then all I need to get over an addiction is Jesus. 
I mean, 12-step programs are good and, and there are doctors out there that are smarter than me that have more letters after their name that say that this pill will help this and this antidepressant will help this and who am I to say I'm not a doctor? I don't have any letters after my name but if this Bible says that Jesus is all I need then Jesus is all I need. Doesn't have to make sense to me. I just have to believe it. The Bible says that you can live better off 90% of your income through tithing than you can 100%. You may say, Brother Brett, that math doesn't add up. It doesn't have to add up. It doesn't have to make sense. You just have to believe it. I can live better off 90% than I can off 100. I don't have to believe it. I mean, I don't have to. It doesn't have to make sense to me. I just have to believe it. We've all heard, been sitting in a, a preaching service and heard a preacher get up and preach the Bible and then you look and you say, really? Really, God? Is that what you want me to do? If it's in the Bible, then yes, you should. And then the verse, it uses this word captivity. What that means is I have to give myself over to this way of thinking so much that I become a slave to it. What God wants me and you to do is to become a slave to thinking it eternal. So much so that we don't think only eternal, eternal only in church. We think eternal when we're at work. We think eternal when we're at home with our family. And we think eternal all the time when you're on your phone at work and you drop your very expensive iPhone and you stick your foot out there. And man, I've been coming. I'm a professional at this. And you stick your foot out there and you caught your iPhone on your foot and didn't smash into a million pieces and you caught it. You automatically think, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And when you open a book and you open it up to the exact place that you want to look at, you think, thank you, Lord. Just every single area of your life, always thinking eternal. Everything is eternal. He wants us to be a slave to this type of thinking. And then the verse says, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It is more important that I obey Christ than for things to make sense to me. Obedience, it is more important that I obey Christ than for things to make sense to me. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. Abraham was like, God, I don't know where I'm going. This doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to go anyway. And could you imagine how that conversation went. Abraham says, okay, you want me to go? Great, where are we going? God says, um, that doesn't matter, just go. Okay, uh, how soon do we leave? Right now, we're leaving right now. Um, what, what's it gonna be like? Milk and honey, that's all you need to know, milk and honey. How will I know when I get there? I'll, I'll, don't worry about that, I'll, I'll let you know when you get there. How long is this going to take? Uh, it, it, it'll take as long as it takes. Okay, I'll start packing. I'll go. See, it didn't have to make sense to Abraham. He just 
He just went. And that took Abraham letting go of his own way and embracing God's word. Abraham followed God's instruction, even though it meant uprooting his family for the unknown. Even though it didn't make sense to him, he still obeyed. But God, what you're telling me to do doesn't make any sense. And God says, do it anyway. But God, hold on a second. You don't understand. That person really hurt me. And I've been carrying that hurt around with me my entire life. But you're telling me that I should forgive them? Lord, it was really bad what they did to me. So forgiving them doesn't make any sense. God says, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding. This means we have to let go of our human reasoning. We have to let go of our human way of thinking. But you know what it also means? It means we must, get, we must let go of human expectations. We must let go of human expectations. We need to do ourselves a favor. You know what we need to do ourselves a favor in? We need to do ourselves a favor and stop living in if only land. If only land is an imaginary, unrealistic place is right out there beside Hanalee. It doesn't exist. Okay. If only we need to not live in if only land. Okay. Giving weight to the word of God removes if only from our life. Man, if only my spouse would try to understand me. If only I wasn't created this way. If only my children would respect me. If only my boss would listen to me. If only my parents would tr trust me. If only I had a little more money. If only I could do the things I used to do. If only I had more freedom. If only my work situation was better. If only I had gotten that raise. If only people would treat my children better. If only I had less pain. We need to stop living in the land of if only. You know, David, David tried living in the land of if only for a little minute. Man, David was out there and he was fighting. He's trying to get his kingdom back. And David let it slip one day. And he said, man, if only I had water from that well outside of Bethlehem, I would be okay. But what David didn't know is he had three of his mighty men hear him. And his three mighty men, they, they were so loyal to him that they risked their life trying to get that water from him for him. Now, let me tell you something. If any one of those three men would have died on that little trip, David would have been in a pickle. Those three men were his generals. If it wasn't for David's mighty men, he never would have got the throne back. He would have been in a pickle if one of them had died. He relied heavily on his mighty men. You know, I always thought it was pretty, pretty dirty of David. Man, after all that those guys went through to get that drink of water, they went down to Bethlehem. They fought through the enemy. They got that water. They survived. They come back to David. They gave him a canteen full of water, telling him where the water was from. And then David poured it out on the ground. I always thought it was dirty 
of David to do that after all they had sacrificed for him. But you know, after thinking about it a little bit, I, I think I know why he didn't do it. I think I know why David poured it out. David poured that water out for a couple of reasons. Number one, he saw the loyalty of his men and thought, you know what? I don't need anything else. I thought I needed that water, but God's already given me everything that I need. I really don't need this water. After seeing the loyalty of what these guys did for me, I don't need this water. And you know, the second thing is he gave it as an off, a drink offering to God. He had a foolish thought that was corrected by a sober thought. Okay? But he's like, man, I already have all I need. I don't need to live in if-only land anymore. Because God has already given me everything I need. Yes. Number three. We experience God's mercy and forgiveness. Isaiah 55, 7c. And he will have mercy upon me and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love this part of this verse. So I get two things when I return to the Lord. I get mercy and I get a pardon. Or in other words, I get compassion and I get forgiveness. Let's look at these for a second. First, first mercy or compassion. Some of the reasons why... A Christian, one's backslidden Christian, doesn't want to come back to God is because of shame and fear. A Christian that has turned their back and backslidden on God is so ashamed of how far they've gotten away from God that they're afraid to come back because they're ashamed of it. But what we have to realize is that God is merciful beyond our comprehension. God is merciful beyond our comprehension, and it's that mercy and that compassion that gives us the second thing, and that's pardon, and that's forgiveness. You know, sometimes we feel like we don't deserve to be forgiven, that we've done so much wrong that we feel like we don't want it because we don't deserve it. But the thing is, is nobody deserves forgiveness. Nobody does. And, the, and I, love the, the, I love the way the Bible puts it. The Bible says the pardon that we get, the Bible says he will abundantly pardon us. That means pardon after pardon. The word abundantly, it means multiply. So once we get that mercy, that mercy begets more mercy. And that mercy begets more, more mercy and so on and so on. You know, the problem is never that we return to the Lord and the Lord rejects us. The problem is we fail to return to the Lord at all. And then number four, we accept God's ways at the expense of our own. We accept God's ways at the expense of our own. Let me show you this morning. Our way and God's way is incompatible. You can't accept both and you can't reject both. If you accept one, you have to reject the other. If I accept my human reasoning, I have to reject God's way and vice versa. You have to accept one and reject the other. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. God doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't think the way we do. We get in a lot of trouble when we expect him to. Okay? Because we're made in the image of God, we can relate to God's thoughts, but we can't master them. Okay? 
God is not going to think the way you think. God is not going to act the way you act. Have you ever heard of somebody doing something really bad? Something really, really horrible. I have this thought anytime I hear somebody hurting a child. When I hear of somebody hurting a child, I just imagine that I'm God. And they sick some, uh, let's say, let's put them over here on top of an ant bed and let's have a meteor fall out of the sky. He's going to get struck by lightning. And man, we say to ourselves, this dude better be glad I'm not God. Because if I was God, I'm going to get him. Okay. We always have that thought. Man, if I was God, I know what I'd do. I'd take all the evil people and I'd go put them on a boat and I'd sink it and I'd do all this stuff. Man, if I was God, man, all this stuff would happen. Well, do you know why God doesn't react the way you would react? Because God doesn't think the way you think. He doesn't do it. He thinks differently. And where we get into trouble is when we expect God to think like us and we expect God to act like us. How far different is God's thoughts than our thoughts? How far different is God's ways than our ways? The Bible says as far as the earth is from heaven. Man, I wonder how high you got to go to get to the top of heaven. That's pretty far. So that means as a general rule, my ways will always be incompatible with God's ways. They'll always be contrary. I must accept one is true. I must reject the other as false. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I must honor God by believing his word. But you know what we have to do? And here's what I want, the thought I want to leave you with this morning. You know what we need is we need some low-altitude thinking today. Low-altitude thinking. Man, I can't get all the way. My thinking can't be all the way out, out there where God is. But you know what Philippians 2.5 says? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. He can't think like me, but did you know that I can think like him? I can think like him. Wait, what? What? God said that I can get my thinking up to his thinking? God tells me that I can have the mind of Christ, that I can have the thinking of Christ? I can, yes. When you get saved, any saved child of God can do that. You see, instead of following our own way, instead of doing what makes sense to us, we reject that. Then we get his thoughts and his ways. And we take his ways and his thoughts and implant them into our heart. And we take his ways and his thoughts and implant them into our head. Let this mind, you know what that means? That means I have a choice. Oh, Brother Brett, what kind of stuff does Christ think about? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Man, truth, honesty, justice, purity, loveliness, good report. That sounds like the word, all that's in the word of God to me. I can choose the mind of Christ this morning or I can reject it. 
If you reject the mind of Christ, you dishonor God because you've embraced your own thinking. Man, it makes sense to me. It's not about what makes sense to me and you. It's about what does this book say? When we honor, when we give weight to the word, we honor the one who gave it. I want you to listen to what, I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6. He said, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built his house upon the earth and against which the stream did beat vehemently and it immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. Do you really want to honor God? Then we got to begin by giving the due weight to his word. William Carey was called the father of modern day missions. The missionaries that go out, the missionaries that we support, the modern model of missions was pioneered by William Carey. When William Carey was getting ready to go to India, people told him, man, you don't need to do this. Man, you're going to run out of money. You're going to starve to death. You're going to, it's going to be horrible. And to be honest with you, uh, it was rough on William Carey. He lost his five-year-old son. His wife lost her sanity. And so people were telling William Carey, man, all this stuff, you know, you, you don't need to do this. You don't need to go think about it. It's a bad deal. You're, you're, going to, you're not going to have any money. You're not going to have any food. What are you going to do? And for a while, William Carey almost didn't go. But then he decided that he's going to give up on human reason, give up on human logic and follow the word of God. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. William Carey went to India. Because of William Carey, he has inspired thousands of men and women to go to the mission field. All because he gave up on what made sense to his human mind. He gave up rational thought and followed after God. Gave up on thinking about things temporary and just think about things eternal. Dad, husband, what are you thinking about today? You just chasing that dollar? Is that all you're doing is chasing that dollar? About your family back home? What about their eternity? What about your kids? What about their Christian life? What about your grandkids? Stop thinking about temporary things. Stop. You got to. I say that wrong. You got to think about temporary things. You can't live without them, but you, you, you can't focus on them. Your focus has to be on eternal things. The mind of Christ. You have to focus on the word of God. I close with this verse. Isaiah 66 two. to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God?